open there to Haggai. Um, I know that that's not a passage that people preach that often, but I've been looking forward to preaching this one for a while. I knew it was on the the preaching calendar, and I was looking forward to it. Um, It's called The Best is Yet to Come, and I really believe that about this place. And we're coming to a point in Haggai, it's, uh, he's one of the post-exilic prophets, so that means that he wrote after the time of the exile, and he records a time when a new wave of exiles, they were returning to Jerusalem in order to rebuild the temple, but when they got there, they were incredibly discouraged. When they left Jerusalem, the temple had not yet fallen. It was beautiful. Solomon's temple, it was extravagant. It was, I mean, it had all sorts of furnishings. They remember how packed it was for all the festivals, all the great worship services they had there. This place was amazing. And now as they return, they look and you know what they see? A whole bunch of rubble. Their temple had fallen and they had no idea how they were going to get it back. And God says, well, you're going to rebuild it. And they were thinking, well, what's even the point? (laughs) All we're left here is with a bunch of rubble. There's no way we can possibly exceed what was here before. There's no way we can get it to look as good as it was before. What's the point in even trying? That's how they felt as they returned to Jerusalem. And I mean, honestly, that's expected, right? We can understand that. If you remember what something once, once was, and then you see what it's become, and that what it's become is not what it once was, you can be discouraged. I mean, I get it. I remember back early in 2020 when Doug Angel called me as the chairman of the deacons, and he said, hey, the pastor resigned. We have no one to preach this Sunday. Can you do it? I was like, sure. I love to preach. That'd be great. So uh, I came, and I preached, and I stood right here, and I looked out at this massive crowd of 19 people. (laughs) overwhelming I know and about 10 of them were my own family there to support me so let me just make that stipulation as well but I think I felt then like the people of Israel felt in Haggai's day because I remembered when Pastor Chris was here and I remember what the church looked like then and here I was standing here looking at 19 people thinking to myself what happened here it's little more than a pile of rubble And then Doug made the mistake of asking me to keep coming back and preach, and so I did, and uh, kept preaching, and eventually served as the interim. And I remember when I started serving, people from all over were contacting me saying, do not waste your time with that church. Even professors at universities, folks, (laughs) emailing me saying, don't waste your time with that church. That's a dead church. Nothing good can happen there. Nothing good will happen there. You'd be better off leaving it alone. But I was young and stubborn and naive. So, I was like, what does he know? We had two options at that point, though. We could either close the doors and be done, or we could choose to rebuild. And so I and all 12 of us who remained, we got down to 12 at that point. uh, COVID hit. But we prayed, and we had a strong, overwhelming sense that God was not done with George's Creek. And we had a strong sense that not only was God not done with George's Creek, but we honestly believed, call us naive, but we honestly believed that the best was still yet to come for George's Creek. And so we decided we were going to rebuild. And listen to me, 
The Lord has been so, so good to us. Has He not, church? He took us from 12 people going through a global pandemic with a pastor who was still in seminary and didn't have that degree yet to now we've had baptisms, we've had salvations, we've had new members, we've outdone almost every church in our association and missions year after year after year. Not only that, but God has given us a global reach as a church that there are people right now from all over our world and who will this week, from all over our world, listen to the messages of George's Creek Baptist Church. God has started a revival in Kenya because of the ministries here at George's Creek Baptist Church. God has done far above and beyond all we could have ever thought and imagined when we were 12 people looking at a church that was nothing more than a little more than rubble. Amen? We see what God has done, and um, we rejoice in that. But let me remind you of something. Please, let me remind you, we're still rebuilding. (laughs) We've only been at this for three years. I know that occasionally we like to think, and it maybe feels like we've been doing this for 10 years already. It's only been three years. We're still rebuilding. Uh, Rome was not built in a day, and a church is not built in a day, okay? It takes time, and something that you all know because you've been here for this, rebuilding is not for the faint of heart, amen? Rebuilding is a long, grueling, tiring process that will beat you down. It'll wear you out. But if it's what God's called you to do, you have to do it. That's exactly what the people in Haggai's day were going through. The people of Israel, they return, they know that they've got nothing more than a pile of rubble in front of them. And God says, you're going to make this rubble into my new temple. And they were discouraged. And yet, in the midst of their discouragement, they do begin to rebuild. You know what changed? God gave them a vision of what they could be and what they would be. The the Lord says that He is going to fill this house with glory. And not just that, but that the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. And so don't miss that. They're discouraged at what they see. They're upset. They're overwhelmed. They're thinking, what's the point, God? And God says, here's the point, because the temple that you're currently going to build, it's going to be even greater than the one before. It's going to be even more glorious. I know that you don't see it now, but I'm telling you what's coming. And when they catch the vision of the Lord, it changes everything for them. I want you to know the same is true for us, church. When God gives us a vision of what we can be, we're empowered to persevere in His service. You want to know how you can continue to push forward with our rebuilding efforts here at George's Creek? You want to know how you avoid being derailed by discouragement? You look to this. When God gives you that vision of what we can be, we're empowered to persevere in His service. But there's the question. Well, how can we avoid being derailed by discouragement? Because you know that there's going to be discouragement, right? No one's under any illusions that we're going to avoid that. There's going to be discouragement. Do you believe Satan's going to attack us in this rebuilding process? If I could raise my hand up higher, but my shirt's tucked in so I can't, I'd raise it up higher. (laughs) Satan's going to attack us. He's going to try to stop the work. He's going to try to discourage us. But how do we avoid being discouraged or derailed by discouragement and press forward to accomplish the Lord's 
vision. And I want you to see the first thing that the people of Israel needed to know and the first thing that we need to know this morning is the danger of nostalgia. All right, look there in verse 3. The Lord says, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Now imagine that. God has given them this great task, rebuild my temple. And they look at this and they say, this thing, this is nothing. Why are they reacting that way? I mean, this isn't even the first time they've reacted this way. When the priest Ezra brought the first wave of exiles back to Jerusalem, and he actually laid the foundation with them. This is what we read in Ezra 3.12. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, listen, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. The many shouted aloud for joy. Now, I don't know that there's a better depiction of the reactions you're going to face when you're rebuilding something, okay? There are many people who are heartbroken at what's happened and what they've lost. And what's happened is they've got the past caught in their eyes. When they look at what's before them, they don't see what's before them. They only see what it used to be. The past is stuck in their eyes. And they look at it and they mourn and they think, what's the point? There's no way we can get back to what we once were. But I want you to notice something very important here. Church, I want you to notice that there's two groups of people here. There are those who had seen the former temple and seen all of its glory and they are filled with discouragement. But notice this, please notice, there's another group of people here who had never seen the other temple had never seen its glory, and they're not discouraged. Instead, they are thankful and excited about the opportunity that's before them. They understand God's grace in the situation because they understand that they are not entitled to return to Jerusalem. They are not entitled to have a chance to rebuild the temple and have another temple. They're not entitled to any of that, and yet God has given them the opportunity to go and do that very thing. And so they are thankful, they are excited about the work that is to take place. And we need to learn to balance these two perspectives today, especially the nostalgia perspective, because nostalgia is dangerous. I know we don't like to think that in our day for whatever reason, But nostalgia is dangerous. If you are constantly thinking about how great things were in the past, all that's going to do is fill you with discouragement about where things are now. If you're constantly looking back, you're not paying attention to where you're going. It's kind of like in my car. I've got uh, these two mirrors that face my boys' car seats. Uh, So that when I look through my rearview mirror, I can see their mirrors and see them. And those mirrors are a gift and a curse. Okay, they're a gift because I can look back, I can see if they're choking on food or if they're, you know, trying to strangle one another. Or Judah's got this fishing net and he's put it over Ezra's head and he's trying to figure out why he can't get him out of the car seat. You know, stuff like that, if it were to happen. So they're a gift because you can look back and check on that. But those things are also a curse because I've got some cute boys, okay? (laughs) And so I'm constantly tempted to be looking in that, my rearview mirror and watch them smile and just watch them laugh and watch them interact with each other. I mean, I could just literally look at those boys all day and just smile and appreciate them. But let me ask you a question. If I'm constantly looking back, where am I not looking? The road. <laughs> the road. That's the right answer. 
And so what I'm actually doing is I'm endangering everyone in the vehicle, correct? If I'm constantly looking back, I'm not paying attention to where I'm going, and I am very likely to get us off course. And I want you to know the same is true for us when God is rebuilding His people in His church. If we're always looking back, we're, re- we're endangering the rebuilding efforts of the church. If people are constantly talking about the days when, you know those people, right? I remember when this church was packed. Praise God. I remember when we had to get the folding chairs out. There was standing room only. Praise God. Do you also remember that our church went through a split and we were left with 12 people and then a global pandemic hit? Do you remember where we are now? It's great to look back and see, hey, God did great things in the past. But if you're constantly looking back and you're constantly comparing us to then and where we were to where we are now, you know what you're not doing? You're not helping with the rebuilding effort. If you're constantly looking back, you contribute absolutely nothing to the rebuilding efforts of the church. In fact, if you're hung up on nostalgia like that, it actually demonstrates an attitude that you doubt whether or not God could do it again or even greater things. And so we need to learn to balance these perspectives. We need to honestly believe that the best is yet to come. We have to stop looking back and we have to start looking forward to what the Lord has for us. If we want to avoid being derailed by discouragement, church, and we do want to see the Lord's vision accomplished, then here's what we have to do. We have to learn to look back with appreciation, but also look forward with anticipation. That's the balance that we have to strike. We look back with appreciation, but we also look forward with anticipation. In other words, it's great to look back at the life of our church and your life as an individual Christian, and praise God for the wonderful things He has done. Amen? You can do that. It is great to do. So praise God for those times when the church was packed. Praise God for those times when you had to get the folding chairs out, and there was standing room only, and this and that. Praise God for that. But then understand where we are now, and where God has taken us, and if you believe that He is as great as we claim He is, why don't we start looking forward with some anticipation? Why don't we start believing that He can do even greater things in the future? He's not a God of the past. He's a God of the present. And He's taken us someplace. So let's pay attention to that. Let's look ahead to where He's taken us and not let nostalgia derail us. Because let me remind you that just like the people of Israel, we've got a mixed group here, okay? We've got a group of people here who have been in this church since the day they were born. And I mean probably the day you were born. I think some of you were born right here on these front pews, okay? I'm convinced, like three of you were. So, You've been here your whole lives. You have seen this church in its former glory. And that's great. You were here in the heyday. But listen, the Lord's also brought us a bunch of new people, hasn't He? People who weren't here in the church's heyday. And it would be real easy for those of you who were here in the church's heyday to be filled with discouragement and allow that discouragement to snuff out all the excitement of the new people who are actually excited about all the things we have going on here at George's Creek and where God's taken us. And we can't let that happen. We can't let discouragement derail us or snuff out all the excitement that we have before us. We need to learn to look back with appreciation And look forward with anticipation. Because listen, just as God gave the people of Israel a vision of what they can be, the Lord has given us a vision 
for who we are to be as His church. Because I think you know this, we're living in a culture, in a community that is plagued by nominal cultural Christianity. If you don't know what that means, it means that when you're born here in the South, on your birth certificate, they just go ahead and write Christian, because they assume you're going to become one, right? I was born in Grieve Memorial, so therefore I'm a Christian. I was born in the South, therefore I'm a Christian. Basically, if you're born below the Mason-Dixon line, you're automatically going to heaven. That's what everybody in our country thinks. You know that's true. Everybody in our area, they've heard the name of Jesus. They've heard the gospel. They could quote some scripture to you. They probably dedicated their lives at some point. They probably prayed a prayer at some point. They probably were baptized at some point. They probably rededicated their lives somewhere in their teen years, probably around age 15 or 16, you know, something like that. And still to this day, they will call themselves Christians, even though everything in their lives contradicts that statement. Every, even though everything in their lives goes against what is in Scripture. You look at what Scripture says as a Christian, you look at them, and it doesn't align. And yet they will say, well, I grew up in that church, therefore I'm a Christian. Okay? That's nominal Christianity. Just calling yourself a Christian but having no proof of it and not actually living out the faith. You may come to a Sunday morning service, and that's about it. And even that's rare. That's what's our culture. That's our plague of our culture. You understand that, right? That's what we're dealing with in this area. And so as I was praying about who the Lord wants us to be as a church, He made it very clear to me that He wants us to tackle cultural Christianity head on. He wants us to, to show people what it's like to be a true Christian. To help people move out of their cultural Christianity and embrace the fullness of the abundant life that Jesus wants us to have. The abundant life that he says he has for us. And so we tried to summarize that in one concise statement. God wants more for you. So do we. God wants more for you. So do we. People around this area, they're settling for so little. Settling for calling yourself a Christian, settling for attending a Sunday morning service, settling for just saying, I went to a church one time, therefore I'm a Christian. God wants more for you than that. God wants more for you than cultural Christianity, and so do we. And listen to me, church, that is our vision for our church and our city. We want to see people fully committed to the Lord and His purposes and His kingdom here on earth. And so if we want to see that vision take hold of our city and transform our city, we cannot let discouragement derail us. We have to look back with appreciation, look forward with anticipation. Amen? But listen to me, that motivation to press forward, it starts in the heart. It's eventually got to move to the hands though, okay? I want you to notice verses 4 and 5. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Now I want you to notice that even though that they are discouraged and, and they're thinking that their efforts to rebuild the temple are, are no, of no use, the Lord gives them three commands to encourage them to press forward with the vision He's given them. Notice what those commands are. He says to them, be strong, work, and fear not. 
And these are the three commands that they need to hear at this time. Be strong, work, and fear not. It's the same thing that God told Joshua as he was about to assume leadership of the Israelites. It's the same thing that God, or that David rather, told his son Solomon as Solomon was about to become king of Israel. They said to them, do not be afraid, be strong and be courageous. Do the work for the Lord is with you. And that's exactly what the Lord says to the people of Israel here. He says to them, I know what you're going through. I know how overwhelmed you are. Don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. Don't be derailed by your discouragement. Instead, be strong. Do the work and fear not. The Lord's saying, yeah, I know that there is a lot of work to be done. And I know that you are going to be overwhelmed by a lot of it. I know that it's going to be a long, difficult process. I know you're going to face opposition. Y'all remember the book of Nehemiah? When the people returned and began to rebuild the walls, not just the temple, but the walls around the city of Jerusalem, they faced opposition after opposition after opposition. The enemy will always try to stop the rebuilding efforts of God. Y'all know that, right? The enemy wants nothing more than to discourage us, to get in our head, and to see God's plans be stopped immediately. And so God says, be strong, do the work, fear not. You could scratch your head there and you go, well, God, there's a lot of work to be done. (laughs) Where do you even start with something like this, right? I mean, again, that's kind of how we felt back when there was just 12 of us. Because again, 2020... This is the first church, hopefully my last church I ever have, and I was still in seminary, had not received that degree yet, and we're pastoring, and we're down to 12 people, global pandemic hits, and and just let me insight into seminary. I know not a lot of you have applied, but there's not a class on how to pastor your first church through the midst of a global pandemic while you have a newborn and still in seminary. I didn't have a chance to sign up for that. I had to take Hebrew, so... (laughs) It's not an option. No one tells you what to do. And so I'm sitting there scratching my head, and people are looking at me, well, what do we do? I'm like, well, that's a good, good question, you know? That's a real good question. There's a lot of work to be done. I said, all right, there's a lot of work to be done, so let's just start where we can. We know three things God's told us to do. Love God, love others, make disciples of Jesus. Let's just focus on that for now. There's a whole lot of stuff to be done, but if we can just nail down those three things and focus on that, I think the Lord's going to take care of us. So love God, love others, make disciples of Jesus. We couldn't just stand around and do nothing though, right? That was not an option. And it wasn't an option for the people of Israel here. There's a lot of work to be done, and they're wondering, God, where do we even start with so much work to be done? In their case, it was simple. You want to build a temple, you look around at the rubble you've got, you find a nice looking stone, you pick it up and you go put it in place. Just set it somewhere on the foundation. There you go. That's where you start. Look around, find a stone, pick it up, put it in place. It's like the old saying goes, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? How do you build a temple? One stone at a time. So just pick a stone, put it in place. That's the mentality that we have to have too, church. Because listen, there's a lot of work left to be done here at George's Creek. There's a lot of work still ahead of us. And if we don't want to be derailed by discouragement, if we want to see the Lord's vision accomplished, listen to me, every church member must be involved in the work. 
That's going to be hard for some to hear, but this is how rebuilding is done. Every church member must be involved in the work. Rebuilding and accomplishing the Lord's vision is not for a select group of special people. Do you understand that? It's not for a select group of of special people. Rebuilding and accomplishing the Lord's vision is for every single person who has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. God calls you to participate in that work, which means it's not up to just me or Jordan or Joseph or Mazan or Lowell or any of the leadership here at the church or anybody like that. It is for every single Christian. And you might be sitting there going, well, pastor, maybe you don't know me that well, but I don't have a whole lot to offer. Okay, I didn't go to seminary. I don't really, you know, I can't memorize Scripture that well. I don't know how to really share the Gospel that well. I get hung up on my words sometimes. I don't always have the right words to say. You know, I don't really know how to build anything. I can't teach Sunday school. I don't think there's anything for me. So I support the church. I support the ministry. But I'm just going to sit back and watch. And I'll pray for you. But God couldn't use someone like me. I just want to encourage you this morning and tell you, you couldn't be more wrong that God will always use people just like that. Because I know that the Bible says that when you were saved, the Holy Spirit gave you certain gifts that were to be used in the service of the church. And not just that, but the Bible also says that you are part of the body and that every member is needed for the proper function of the body. So do not tell me that you have nothing to contribute to this church because God says you do. I want to encourage you even more. I want you to see who's working in this passage. Notice the people who are working, the Bible specifically says it's the remnant of the people and all the people of the land. In other words, these are just your average, everyday Israelites. Your average Joe. These people don't have special training in building a temple. These people do not have special training in what they're doing. They are just faithful Israelites that God has called to partake in this work, and that's what they're going to do. So let me encourage you even more. God only ever uses flesh and bone to accomplish His great works. You say, Pastor, I want to be part of a great work of God one day. I want God to use me to do something great. I I want God to use our church to do something great. I want to be part of a great work of God. And you say, but I'm just no one special. Listen to me. God only ever uses flesh and bone to accomplish great works. I mean, think about some of the greatest Christians who have ever lived. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers. Nothing more than flesh and bone. Lottie Moon the great missionary to China. We still take up an offering every year in her honor. Nothing more than flesh and bone. Adoniram Judson, the great missionary to Burma, who who was a pioneer missionary over there. Nothing other than flesh and bone. You think of Billy Graham, Charles Stanley, William Carey, Annie Armstrong, Hudson Taylor, George Mueller, Peter, and Paul himself. Nothing more than flesh and and bone, and you, right there in the pew, guess what you are? Flesh and bone. You might think that you're not the type of person God would ever use, but I want you to know you're the exact kind of person that God uses to accomplish great things in this world if you would only answer His call and get to work. So where do you start? 
people of Israel. Again, it was very easy. They just picked up a stone and they put it into place. So, church, look around. Pick a stone. (laughs) Put it into place. That's how we're going to rebuild our church. And for you, it could be very simple. It could be something like joining gospel groups. Gospel groups are going to be the foundation of this church, I promise you. That's how we're going to fellowship with one another. That's how we're going to connect with one another. That's how we're going to strengthen our unity and our peace and our bonds with one another. It will be the foundation by which this church begins to be built up into what Jesus wants us to be. So join a gospel group. Uh, If you don't want to do that, which you should, you can start volunteering at VBS. It doesn't always look like this behind me. I didn't just do this for giggles this morning, okay? We've got a lot of important stuff happening this week. We're going to be telling children about Jesus this week and hoping to see salvations, praying for salvations. Start volunteering at VBS. You could teach children's church so on Sunday morning. So we need a children's church teacher on Sunday morning. Children's Sunday school, we need children's Sunday school teachers Sunday morning. That's a great way that you could get involved. Creek kids on Wednesday nights. I mean, I don't have time to go through everything we can do up here. All of our missionary activities here at the church. There are endless opportunities for you to get involved in the work that God is doing here at George's Creek. So look around, pick a stone, and get to work you want to see the rebuilding be done, every church member must be involved. And we have to have that mentality. But I want you to see the most important thing this morning very quickly. It's the most important thing. It's the thing that makes everything else possible. We have to remember that the only reason, mark those two words that I'm saying, the only reason that anything gets done and the only hope we have of success is in the fact that the Lord our God is in our midst. He is the only reason anything gets done here. I want you to look again at verses 4 and 5. I won't read them again, but I want you to notice multiple times in there when God is saying, be strong and do the work, the encouragement is, for I am with you. And when he tells them to fear not, how can we fear not, God? Because he says, my spirit remains in your midst. That's how the temple would be built. Not because the people were great, not because they had an abundance of resources, but because the Lord their God was in their midst. It reminds me of one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Psalm 127.1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. In other words, folks, if God's not working, nothing's getting done. You could be as busy as you possibly want to be. You can busy yourself to death, but unless God is present and involved in the work, nothing's going to get accomplished. God has to be with you. It's the same thing that we read in Zechariah verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 6. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Listen, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's how it gets done. The rebuilding would get done because the Lord was going to be the one to do it. The temple would be filled with glory again because the Lord was going to be the one who was going to fill it with glory. And then watch this. Listen to me. This temple would be even more glorious than the former temple because eventually God the Son was going to leave heaven and take on human flesh 
and become like us in every single way, yet without sin. In the temple that was as nothing in their eyes, God the Son was going to be presented in this very temple. Jesus would one day walk the corridors of this very temple. Jesus would one day teach in this very temple. And not only that, folks, but when Jesus died on the cross, He would cause the curtain in this very temple to be torn in two, signifying that He had made a way for man to enter into the presence of God forever through His perfect sacrifice. This temple would be more glorious than the former because God Himself would be present there. I want to remind you of something this morning, church. If we don't want to be derailed by discouragement, if we want to see the Lord's vision accomplished, here's what you need to remember. When God is with us, nothing is impossible. You believe that this morning, George's Creek? When God is with us, nothing is impossible. I want that to be your encouragement. That accomplishing the Lord's vision, listen to me, is not contingent upon you and your abilities. That's freeing, is it not? It means that you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have all the wisdom in the world. You don't have to have all the right calls at all times. Accomplishing God's vision is not contingent upon you and your abilities. We know that there's still a lot of work to be done. We know that God's given us a great vision for our church and our city. And I know that that can seem daunting and it can make many of us throw up our hands and go, what's the point, pastor? It's taking too long. Three years is too long, apparently. It's taking too long. It's not what it used to be, pastor. There's too much work to be done. We need to go back to this. We need to do this. I remember when we did this. Last time I checked, God was still here. And if God's still here, God's not done. I fully believe that the best is yet to come for George's Creek. Even though there's a lot of work, yeah. But nothing is impossible with our God. Jesus tells us as much in Matthew chapter 19. He says, with God, all things are possible. So it's not up to you. It's not up to me. It's not up to our abilities. It's not up to our wisdom, our planning, our strategies. It is all on God. And with God, we shall do valiantly. I want you to remember this, church. When God is with us, there is no dream too big. There is no vision too bold. There is no ministry out of reach because our God can do all things. This was God's encouragement to Israel in Haggai's day, and it is His encouragement to us today, George's Creek. God's not done with us yet. So yes, let's look back and appreciate all that He's done here. But let's remember to look forward with great anticipation for what He has in store for us. If we do want to see this vision take hold of our church and our city, I want you to remember that every single church member must be involved. And more than anything this morning, I want you never to forget that when God is with us, nothing is impossible. If you believe that this morning, if you buy into the Lord's vision just as the people of Israel did, then truly the best is yet to come for George's Creek. Amen?